What a beautiful day God has given us to gather together to worship as God's people. Good morning and welcome to worship. Those of you who are here in person and those of you, those of you who are joining us online, we finally have our live stream back, I think, right, Jason? No, he's shaking his head. Well, for those who listen later, um, we are glad you are joining us. Um, I've got a lot of announcements today. There's always a lot going on at McGregor. Reminder of the continued discussion on gun violence this afternoon at four o'clock. We'll meet in McGregor Hall again. I want to highlight the community workshop series that we have beginning this Thursday. It's a three-week series, and you can attend all three or just whichever ones strike your fancy. Um, as we talk about advanced pl planning, things like wills and trusts and living wills and um, all the really exciting things, right? As well as alternatives for final planning. Um, we're excited about those. Those are free and open to everyone. And um, we do ask that you register if possible, just so we can have an idea of um, a head count. And there's more information for you about that on the back of the bulletin. Um, next week, um, during worship, we're um, excited to have our hymn festival that the choir has been working on and that was really made possible through a gift to the choir. Um, they'll be leading us in special arrangements of hymns, a few of which you heard as preludes, but hymns we have not sung before, so it's always good to learn some new ones. Um, and they've got special arrangements. They'll sing some of the verses and then we'll join in, um, also interspersed with some poetry readings. Um, also next Sunday after worship, we're going to be doing pumpkin carving and make your own pizzas. So if that's something that you would like to participate in, we're doing that with the youth, but also making it intergenerational. So if that's, again, something you'd like to do, please let David Jenkins know um, so that we can have enough food for everyone. But we're looking forward to that. Um, session, you may have seen the email that went out on Friday, is exploring the idea of participating with more justice and attending the Community Problems Assembly on October 30th at Beth Shalom Synagogue. Um, this is, again, kind of an exploratory, let's learn more kind of um, endeavor, not a commitment. But if you're interested in learning more about that and wanting to know what more justice is, um, you are certainly welcome to attend. And if you would just let either Mary Ellen Thompson, where are you, Mary Ellen? <laughs> or me know by Wednesday they do want to have a head count because they're going to seat um, each congregation together. Um, also, just to let you know, the PNC did meet this past week for the, their orientation, so the ball is rolling or the wheels are turning and um, they are looking forward to um, getting going with their work as well. Um, a word about the gathering song this morning. We have sung it before, so hopefully it won't sound unfamiliar, but we're going to try it as a round today. And Michelle Glasscock is really excited about that. <laughs> uh, so we're going to do the pulpit side. Y'all are going to have to sing big. And we're going to do then the labyrinth side as well. Um, the choir's going to divide into two, and they've got two who are going to be leading us as well. Um, just so you know, in the bulletin, it's got part one and part three, and then in the instructions, it has part one and part two. So y'all are part one, y'all are part two, follow the choir, we'll be good. <laughs> well, okay, so y'all are part three, but we've got two parts. So just to be a little confusing, <laughs> we're skipping two. Part one, part three. Follow the choir. I promise you'll be okay. Um, today also kicks off stewardship season. Um, we're invited to prayerfully consider our gifts for um, the glory of God through the work of this congregation. Each week in the eMessenger, beginning this past week, you may have seen, several of the session committees will be sharing how their work um, is is possible thanks to your gifts and how they are able to put God's love into action, which is the theme of this year's stewardship season. Um, Dedication Sunday will be on Sunday, November 12th, and you'll be finding pledge cards in the bulletin from now till then. So um, every opportunity um, to reflect on that and think about that as we move forward into the coming year. So a lot going on, as always. Um, let us Take a few moments now to still our minds and hearts to be present to God's holy presence here in this place.
That went better than I thought. We'll take this act on the road. <laughs> Please rise in body or spirit and join me in the call to worship. Come to find community and unity with God. Come and receive comfort and experience challenge and conviction. Come and learn that with discipleship, comes a great cost and a priceless treasure. Come to hear the word and be sent out as doers of that same word. Come to hear once more of God's great love for the world and for you and me. May we respond with our lives, God's great love in action. Let us worship God. Trusting that God is generous to all who call out in faith, let us pray together. O Christ, save us. Save us from offering thoughts and prayers, when instead you call us to action, to serve the poor, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to welcome the stranger. Save us from doing too little, ignoring the plight of those around us, and save us from doing too much, 
filling our days with business to avoid the pain and discomfort we cannot bear. Save us from ourselves that we might be for others. O Christ, save us, and in your mercy, forgive us once more. Amen. Take heart and do not be afraid. God comes to fill our parched souls with living water, to open our eyes to the grace all around us. God comes for no other reason than to save us and make us whole. This is indeed good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. And as we have um, no children with us this morning, I'm going to invite David Jenkins, our lay reader, to come forward for our first scripture reading. To be the child? <laughs> well, you want to? <laughs> Good morning. Let us turn our hearts to God in prayer. O oh God, as we seek to be not only hearers, but also doers of your word, Speak clearly to us, prod us towards the work you would have us do and the lives you would have us lead. As for those who love you with all, all that we are, I, I amen. The scripture reading this morning is from James chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith? but do not have works. Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what good is that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. This is the word of God.
Amen. The journey is our home, God's love in action. Are y'all getting a theme here? (laughs) Our gospel lesson this morning comes from John's gospel, chapter 21, verses 15 through 19, to back up and give a little context, because I think it always helps when you jump into the middle of a story to know what's going on. This is post-Easter, so the resurrected Jesus has appeared to his disciples twice already, and they don't know what to do next. Well, what do we do? So Peter decides, let's go fishing, because why not? That's what we know how to do. And the others say, oh, yeah, 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 that's a good idea. And they fish all night and come up empty. And so then Jesus appears to them from the shore and tells them to cast their nets on the other side. They haul in a big whole load of fish. And then they, he cooks breakfast for them and serves breakfast there on the shore. And has, they are finished breakfast, and this is where we pick up this morning. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's been a couple of weeks since the sermon series on the core values from the mission study, but let's see what you got. What do you remember? What are they? Love. Building community relationships. Justice. Spiritual growth. Tim is batting a thousand. (laughs) Come on, y'all. It's the one reason y'all mostly said you're at McGregor and why you stay here. Caring relationships. Oh, yeah, that one. (laughs) Not bad, not bad. Now, just because that sermon series is over doesn't mean we're not going to keep talking about. Clearly, we need to. Or deepening our understanding of what they mean, because the goal is to embrace them more fully, to live into them more deeply, both as individuals and as a community of faith. And that will always be, hopefully, an ongoing practice. As the mission study team thought about those core values as well as the key scriptures that you all lifted up as important for McGregor, they wanted to come up with what they called a focus phrase, something that might be easier to remember than the five core values, which you may know is God's love in action. Well, the finance committee picked this up as a great theme for our stewardship season this year, a way to move the mission study thought process forward as we think about our stewardship, our responsibility, our obligation that we have to tend to and care for the gifts that we've been given in ways that honor God, the giver of all good gifts. Our stewardship of our finances, our talents, our ministries, our very lives should reflect God's love in action. And one very simple reason for this is because what we find in Scripture is that God's love is action. God doesn't just tell God's people, I love you, though those words are certainly there. God shows God's people how much, over and over, how much they are loved. 
how much we are loved. More often than not, God's love is a verb. For God so loved the world, God gave the only Son. We know God delivered the Israelites from slavery and oppression in Egypt. God sent the prophets to call the people back to God's ways. The Spirit came at Pentecost as wind and fire, as movement and energy. Over and over again, God's love for the world and for God's people is revealed as action. And just as scripture tells us repeatedly repeatedly how God's love is action, so too it calls us, us to action as well. Ephesians tells us to walk in love. First John encourages us to love in deed and in truth. Romans reminds us that love does no wrong to a neighbor. And today we heard those best-known words from James, faith without works is dead, and the instruction from the risen Jesus to Peter and thus to the church, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. The church is to be Christ's body in action, on the move. Hans Kuhn, in his book on being a Christian some 50 years ago, wrote, A church which pitches its tents without consistently looking out for new horizons, which does not continually strike camp, is being untrue to its calling. We must play down our longing for certainty, accept what is risky, and live by improvisation and experiment." You see, when we are on the move with God, it's all experiment. Nothing is settled or set in concrete. And yet, isn't it true that most people would say, that doesn't sound like the church I know at all. Rather, that the church is too settled, too unlikely to adapt, or dare I say it, change. We are in the midst of major shifts in both culture and church life. And if we could only see the way forward, if we knew what to change, maybe we'd do a better job at it. Maybe. And yet the thing is, Jesus doesn't ever lay out the game plan ahead of time. He simply says, follow me. And that takes courage, and it takes risks, and it takes moving our feet, even when we are uncertain where we're going or what to do next. In the gospel reading, Peter and the others don't seem to to know what to do next either. The risen Jesus had appeared to them twice already, but now what? Well, Peter says, let's go back to the old way of doing things. Let's go fishing. And all the disciples say, oh yeah, that's great. Let's do that. And so they do. And again, they come up empty. Of course, they must have thought, everything else is going wrong. Why not this too? What this tells them though, and what they know deep down in their bones, I think, is that they can't go back to the old way of doing things. Too much has changed, and yet they don't know the way forward either. So as hard as they try, nothing seems to be working, which also sounds a lot like the church. When Jesus called his disciples the first time, though, he had told them that he would make them fish for people, that their old occupation would be transformed into something more as they partnered and joined with him in ministry and on mission. And it turns out that that ministry and mission is just as unpredictable as fishing. Sometimes it takes something as simple as casting your net on the other side. Other times you might fish all night and catch nothing. The key piece, however, is to be able to recognize the presence and the call of the risen Christ, to sit still for a moment long enough to be reminded 
what it means to follow. Jesus called Peter aside and gently asked, not once, but three times, Peter, do you love me? When Peter responds in the affirmative, each time Jesus tells him what that love will look like. And it is active. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep. Loving Christ involves the expectation of doing, of being actively involved in the ministry and mission with which Jesus lived his life. It is Christ's love, God's love in action, and it's always for the lambs, the little ones, those who are vulnerable, the poor, the hungry, the unhoused, the powerless, the outcast. And this is really what James is trying to tell us as well. Now, the opening verses of chapter 2 that we didn't read is a word of warning not to treat those who are wealthy better than we treat those who are not, not to show partiality, favoritism towards those who are rich, those who have power and status in society. Because James recognizes how easily we are tempted to favor those who are like us or those who we think can do something for us, even those who do not disrupt our own sense of comfort or place. This happens, we see it in big ways in the culture, but even in small ways, even in our own congregations. James' words force us to consider honestly what happens in our own spaces, even here. How do we treat people who look or dress or act differently than maybe we're comfortable with? Think about it honestly. Suppose we have a visitor who dresses as we consider appropriate for church, who is engaged and interested, who seems to know what to do with the hymnal, not to mention the offering plate, versus, say, a visitor who perhaps dresses a bit shabby, maybe hasn't had a shower in a while, and we can tell, or who simply, simply doesn't fit the respectable-looking churchgoer image. Maybe they clap during the hymns or shout amen at some point during worship. We'd be welcoming, sure, you all are welcoming, but we'd also maybe keep our distance a bit, perhaps eye them warily, keep an eye on them. Those two images feel different, don't they? And yes, we live in a world where safety is an issue. I'm not Pollyanna about that, but James does remind us, give us an important word to be wary of how we judge others, how we welcome others. Because it's more than being welcoming and friendly as people walk in the door, there have to be signs, symbols, actions, experiences that give newcomers the message, you belong here. Things that give them a touchstone, a point of connection, of belonging. And it can't just be as long as you fit into our way of doing things. Here's a recent example. A month or so ago, maybe two, we had a couple visit. They were warmly welcomed as they walked through the door. I saw it happen. I spoke to them myself. They came in, sat down, worship started, and at some point, before we even got to sing glory to God, I looked up and realized they were gone. And I have wondered ever since. We'll never know why, probably, but I have wondered, what was it that made them leave, that gave them the sense, this is not for us, we don't belong here? And I realize, no one church is going to be all things for all people. This congregation, you all have to be who you are authentically, and it may not be for everyone. But it does make me sad to think that anyone would feel so disconnected so quickly that it was enough for them to leave, which makes it worth examining. What is the partiality that we're showing, even inadvertently, 
that may serve to distance people from the love of God in Christ Jesus that they're seeking? What barriers are we putting up that maybe we don't even see? And what might we need to adapt to change in order to be a more open space for others to encounter the holy God? Because the thing is, when we truly engage with people who are different than ourselves, when we build those relationships, we can expect to be changed. And that happens when everyone, particularly those without social power, have a seat and a voice at the table. And I think this is James's point to some degree, that our faith is such that we love our neighbor in such a way that we can act and live and serve as one. That our mission and ministry is not to make us feel good about ourselves as those who have to give, as isn't it great that we can help the less fortunate, but rather we engage their very humanity, that we see them as people, as children of God, full stop, not as people in need that we can help, but as people whom we come alongside of and serve with learning from them, being in relationship with them, being changed by them. And that's hard work, but it's the work of the gospel. It's the work of faith. And faith by itself, if it has no work, is dead. Now, this declaration from James has always been a bit of a conundrum for us Reformed folks. We whose key scripture is, by grace you have been saved by faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Reformed theology insists that we are saved by grace through faith, not works. And yet we find, it seems, the exact opposite here in James, which is why Martin Luther, way back when, could have done with excising James from the Bible altogether. He found it maybe too confusing for people, James' insistence on works. And yet is it really one or the other? Was Luther perhaps misreading James? Because elsewhere we read things like, by their fruits you shall know them. And those are Jesus's words. Now I get why James made Martin Luther a little wiggly with our insistence on God's grace as primary, but we also have to know that if we simply talk about how faithful we are and yet there is no evidence of it, we're doing that thing where we talk the talk but don't walk the walk. Or we offer our thoughts and prayers but do nothing to work towards changing a situation, especially changing those situations that desperately need it. Now, it's important to note that James does not say works alone leads to salvation because anyone can do good works. You don't have to be a person of faith for that. There are lots of good people out there. But I think the point is more that it is our actions, what we do, that makes our faith apparent to others as well as to ourselves. It should be our faith that drives and anchors our actions. So James challenges us to consider what actions make our faith visible. In other words, how do we put our faithful words, the scriptures that you all have lifted up as key scriptures here at McGregor, the commandment to love one another, Micah 6.8, to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God. And Matthew 25, where we are told, what you do to the least of these, you do unto me. And it's very concrete. Feed, offer something to drink, clothe, visit, tend. How do we put those faithful words that we say are important to us into action in ways that reveal God's love and mercy and that benefit our neighbors. 
that welcome and receive our neighbors and give them a place at Christ's table. And that matters because those actions really, whatever they may be, reflect the stewardship, the care, the obligation and responsibility with which we live out our faith, how we use our gifts, our time, our money, our energies, putting gospel words, gospel love into action is the stewardship of our very lives. So as we begin to look ahead to 2024, we are each invited to prayerfully consider how we might put God's love into action through the giving of our time and our talents and our finances, our ideas in ways that will fulfill the royal law, as James puts it, to love our neighbor as ourselves, that will strip away any partiality or preferences or expectations that might serve to alienate others, particularly those who are vulnerable, those who are marginalized, those whom our society deems the least of these. Let us consider what must we do? How must we adapt? What actions do we need to employ to better reveal God's love to those around us? May the words of Hans Kuhn we heard earlier be a reminder to us that we are a people always on the move because we seek to live God's love and God's love is action. So may we be willing to break down our settled camp and strike out for new horizons that beckon us toward the dawn of resurrection light, towards fuller life for all and not just for some. In that way, through us, others will see God's love in action and perhaps be drawn to such an active, welcoming, life-changing love themselves. May it be so. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us stand and affirm what we believe using the words from the brief statement of faith found in your bulletin. Please rise in body or in spirit. In a broken and fearful world, the Spirit gives us courage to pray without ceasing, to witness among all peoples to Christ as Lord and Savior, to unmask idolatries in church and culture, to hear the voices of people long silenced, and to work with others for justice, freedom, and peace. In gratitude to God, empowered by the Spirit, we strive to serve Christ in our daily tasks and to live holy and joyful lives, even as we watch for God's new heaven and new earth, praying, Come, Lord Jesus. With believers in every time and place, we rejoice that nothing in life or death can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord.
Please be seated. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it, knowing that all, all belongs to God, all comes from God, all is gift from God. We are invited to respond to those gifts of grace by sharing a portion of what we have been given. Our giving is yet another way to embrace putting God's love in action. Let us now go to God in prayer. Eternal God, you whose giving knows no ending, we offer now our thanks and praise to you this day for your goodness, your kindness, your life-giving breath, your great and tender love, for us and for all the world, and for your call that you place upon your church to act in ways that bear witness to your love and your mercy and your peace and your justice. May we indeed be your love in action, in all that we say and do, in who we are as individuals and as a community of faith. We pray, O oh God, for your church in these changing times, for this church in particular, for those who teach and lead, for those who offer care and compassion, for those who do so many thankless jobs behind the scenes. And we hold the members of the PNC in prayer as they begin their work of discernment seeking the person you are already calling to serve here in this place as the next called and installed pastor. We pray for Jason and Karen, for Christina and Reagan, for Jane and for Ted and for Steve. Give them, we pray, clarity of vision and assure them of your presence with them through this process. We pray for the nominating committee as they continue their work of finding elders to serve on session and members for the next nominating committee. Fill them with an assurance of your promises for us, your people. And we pray for the session of this church, for their dedication and commitment for their time and service and leadership. Pour out your spirit, we pray, upon these groups that we have named and upon each person gathered, member and friend, that together we may offer a faithful voice and witness in the work to which you call us. And as we pray for your church, we also lift our prayers for your world. Especially we pray for those who yearn for justice and peace, for freedom and safety and security. Oh God, the world feels rent asunder, torn apart as we watch the escalating violence in the Middle East, the senseless deaths of innocent people caught in the midst of war. We know, O oh God, that violence only begets more violence, and yet sometimes it feels as if it's the only path forward. Forgive us. Hear our prayers for those who grieve, those who are even in this moment fraught with terror, despairing as resources like water and food and electricity dry up. We pray, O oh God, for the people of Palestine and of Israel and of Ukraine and Russia. So much loss, so much bloodshed. It grieves our hearts, O oh God. We pray for those who have been displaced from their homes, their lives, their families due to this surge in violence and war. And O oh God, we long for peace peace where there is no peace. 
Comfort those who mourn. Strengthen those in despair. And calm those who are feeling vengeful. As we are mindful of the world, its struggles and its hopes, we feel so small. And yet we know that you incline your ear to even us. And so we are bold to lift before you, O God, the joys and struggles of our own lives and the lives of those we know and love. We give thanks for meaningful work and ministry, for friends and family. We thank you for your renewed energy and for those who share their ideas and faith stories with us that enrich our life together. And we pray for those in the midst of struggle and pain, for those battling illnesses and disease, for those in need of the comfort and peace that only you can give, O Lord. O God, as we lift our prayers before you again and again, we do not cry out in desperation, but in hope knowing that you are just and faithful in all your ways and that you hear us when we call upon you. So hear us now as we pray together in one voice saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God's love in action, faith and works, tending the sheep and feeding the lambs. As we go out into the world, we are called to such a life of action, and we know that we do not go alone, but that Christ goes before and beside us, a loving pattern to guide us. As we go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us this day and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.